Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Calm Versations with the Voice of Reason. I'm your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's conversant is William Malone, MD. His specialty is endocrinology, and I had him on the channel a couple years ago, and he gave me a very informative interview about how transgender ideology is shaping science, but kind of limiting science as it is construed as a process of finding the truth. Rather, the transgender ideology as it is manifesting within endocrinology is shutting down research and argumentation. We spoke about that then, and this conversation we spend catching back up and seeing how the state of science and medical science and endocrinology has fared since he began speaking out. Without further ado, here is William Malone. Speaking of stress, how's endocrinology? So it's been a fascinating year and a half or two years since I spoke with you last. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's uh, you know, there's, there's, there's definitely been a lot of, um, uh, a lot of things have happened, <laughs> I should say, is a good way to put it. Um, you know, I, I think, so when I initially spoke to you, I think I told you my initial exposure to this uh, was um, through the Endocrine Society and essentially my experiences there at the at the annual meeting, which was uh, early 2018, in which they uh, presented a set of guidelines for the treatment of uh, uh, folks with gender dysphoria, and there were there was a, a good section of that dealing with children and adolescents. And um, the, the message there was very one-sided. Uh, there was already controversy about the origins of gender dysphoria and the treatment. Um, but that, that controversy was not, uh, it was not presented. So essentially all that was presented was the uh, one view, which is, Gender dysphoria is a a biological problem, and the treatment is therefore biologically based with hormones and surgeries. Uh, but there's an entirely uh, different uh, uh, paradigm, essentially, and and uh, which is that this is a psychological condition, and therefore the condi- the the treatment should be uh, psychological based. Uh, psychologically based in terms of psychotherapy. Uh, so um, I would say I would say the major medical organizations it's still it's still business as usual in that regard. So they are uh, still only presenting the biological basis, biological treatment um, argument um, that has very little evidence to support it, if any. Um, and there's, there's been no facilitated debate in my opinion at these organizations, uh, where the established and still valid paradigm, certainly competitive and, uh, you know, the paradigm that, that I think has more evidence to it, uh, that this is a psychological condition that should be treated with, um, uh, psychotherapy initially as first line. Uh, so that that uh, that competing uh, framework has not been presented, hmm. and that's a that's a great disservice in my opinion. And and part of the work that I've been doing the last couple of years is to, you know, we've uh, I've uh, made contact with really some brilliant and uh, conscientious uh, clinicians and researchers and others who have been equally uh, alarmed by how things have progressed in this field. 
And and part of our task uh, has been essentially to begin presenting the uh, or making folks aware of this alternative uh, framework that has it's it's not new. It's you know we didn't dream this up. This this was the established paradigm for for a long time and still exists and is still valid. Uh, and I would argue has more evidence and more validity to it than the biological basis uh, uh, argument. And so we've been uh, uh, trying to get that uh, that paradigm out, uh, that framework uh, out, so that people can see the lack of data uh, behind the, this is a biological condition and therefore requires hormones and surgeries, and also the risks associated with that, um, that framework. Um, and getting it out so uh in any way that we can essentially so we're writing uh letters to medical journals um we are talking to colleagues uh we are um putting together uh um so essentially eventually we'll have resources for practitioners to look at that essentially tells the other side of the story, tells the side of the story that the medical societies have have shut down, have neglected to tell. And it's been my position, you know, from the start of this, that most reasonable clinicians, when presented with the two paradigms or the two frameworks side by side, it would be incredibly obvious hmm. which paradigm is has more validity. And that's that's the you know the psychological basis for gender dysphoria and you know the psychotherapeutic approach in terms of uh, attempting to relieve distress and and all of the data that goes to support that in terms of right um, the fact that most kids will uh, have resolution of their gender dysphoria as they move through adolescence and then into uh, adulthood the overwhelming majority um, uh, and. Uh, additionally, many, many red flags uh, have been raised by folks outside the um, medical organizations about this new wave of adolescent, principally females. Uh, it's about 80-20 uh, females to males. Um, uh, several thousand percent increase. So a gender clinic may be seeing, you know, 100 cases and then over the course of a couple of years, the number of referrals increases to you know, 2,000. So a massive increase in referrals. And most of these young people did not have gender dysphoria as, as children. This is a, you know, a new presentation in adolescence. Um, this cohort has been completely unstudied. So there is, or I should say, minimally studied. Um, uh, so we, we don't understand exactly why this, uh, uh, this occurred. There's, there's many theories. Uh, one of them is that it's a social phenomenon. Um, mm -hmm. so that needs more investigation. Uh, the, the protocols that are being used, the medical protocols that are being used now, uh, were never designed for adolescents who had no history of childhood gender dysphoria. Uh, they, they were designed for, uh, uh, folks who had long-standing gender dysphoria, you know, when you look at that data, though, even that data, that protocol, uh, that's been graded as low quality. Those, those studies, that one study in particular uh, from the Dutch clinic uh, treating uh, kids with long-standing gender dysphoria. So the, the, data, the data for that framework is very poor. Um, the, evidence is, the evidence is very poor. Uh, and so, you know, it's my position and others in this this group that I'm working with that uh, psychotherapy should not be off the table. Uh, there, there is there is no there is no convincing evidence um, that uh, the medical intervention pathway actually improves the psychological functioning of of folks who go down that pathway. Uh, so, there's been a ton of misrepresentations out in society and also through the, uh, the medical societies as well. Mm -hmm. So, so, uh, so that part of it is not so good. It's still kind of business as usual. 
at the medical societies. Uh, there have been um, some interesting developments, though. Uh, so I'm sure you're aware of the Kira Bell case in the UK. So essentially, uh, the high court uh, looked uh, at, you know, she, she brought a complaint um, uh, against the uh, Tavistock Clinic um, uh, about how she had been treated and uh, basically successfully convinced the court that, um, you know, youngsters, uh, you know, adolescents under the age of 16 really can't understand the consequences of, of uh, puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones um, and uh, uh, really can't provide consent to those interventions. Um, it's in interesting that the judges, you know, they, they kept remarking, we're, we're surprised at how little data there is to support these interventions. And, and that's right, there's very little data. Um, recently, the uh, uh, two uh, European countries, so Finland and Sweden, so Finland, uh, you know, these countries have national healthcare systems. And uh, so the quote unquote, the gender clinic or um, the gender group in Finland reviewed the data uh, when it comes to uh, childhood adolescent uh, medical interventions and essentially said, there's no data here to support these interventions, uh, these medical interventions and psychotherapy should be first line. Hmm. Uh, the main, um, one of the main hospitals in Sweden just recently essentially has said the same thing that the, uh, the evidence in support of medical interventions, hormones, and surgeries for for youngsters, for young people, is is lacking. Uh, they brought up consent issues as well, and essentially have said, you know, we're going to stop intervening uh, on uh, young people um, uh, unless that's occurring in the context of a very closely. Hmm. Uh, you know, regulated clinical trial. So, so I think uh, it, it looks like the medical societies might be the last ones to kind of wake up, or at least uh, admit that uh, they got way far out ahead of themselves. And um, uh, so, in, in Europe, they're certainly farther ahead in terms of um, being honest about the reality of the situation. Hmm. So that's good to see. So there's rapid onset gender dysphoria that affects adolescents and that Lisa Littman did one study on. I think she's still in the middle of conducting her second study on that, uh, or she's she's now studying detransitioners, if I recall correctly. But there's also like a rapid onset gender obsession within the medical industry. Is there not? Yeah, Just all of a sudden... <laughs> The thousands of doctors, ten thousandfold, the doctors jump on this train. Is there a precedent for that for the medical industry to take such uh, yeah. bursty turns into yeah. different social phenomena and then declare yeah. that it's not a social phenomena, even though they're yeah. obviously acting out a social phenomena on their end? Yeah, I think that's uh, uh, really spot on. So I, I would say exactly that. I would say exactly the you know, the medical profession essentially is, is caught up in a social contagion of their own. And, um, there is, there is precedent for that in previous times, um, multiple examples and much of this. So the most recent would be the opioid, um, epidemic. Hmm. So, uh, a, a product, a new product, quote unquote, uh, is presented uh, supposedly, you know, you know, a, a, a pain drug that is not addictive, an opioid that is not addictive, which, uh, was not the case. Um, and a, a rapid, like wildfire proliferation of you're a bad doctor. If your patients are in pain, uh, pain is the fifth vital sign. Um, and really over dispensing of of opioids and hmm. uh, and here we are, you know, still dealing with the consequences of that. So that's been a devastating, uh, devastating consequence of 
this this kind of interesting mix of people wanting to help, wanting to do well, enthusiastic, you know, do well for their patients, uh, clinicians, yeah. and enthusiasm. You have a pharmaceutical product that's available that's being marketed directly to physicians. And uh, things get ahead of themselves. So, so there was not adequate study done. And lo and behold, uh, if you look at long-term data, folks on opioids uh, don't have better pain control than folks who were not treated with opioids. And so, you know, almost overnight, uh, that shifted. Hmm. And now things are very regulated and emergency departments will only dispense typically three days of pain medication, opioids. Uh, uh, yeah, they're really in. hard to get. Yeah, you have sense. to be in a pain management clinic <laughs> uh, with, uh, you know, contracts, et cetera. So that's the most recent example. And then there are a multitude of others. Unfortunately, most of them in the realm of psychiatry where, mm -hmm. uh, you know. Past the, life, not past life, but multiple personalities was one. Multiple personalities. Was the original one, yeah. Yes, and even lobotomy. So, right, you know, yeah. the docs who were doing lobotomies won Nobel Prizes. Um, so, uh, same sort of same sort of phenomenon where mm -hmm. there's a there's a, an anxiousness to uh, to help, uh, but if that gets ahead of the data, ahead of this ahead of the studies, a lot of harm can be done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I, I think a similar thing is happening now. I like the statement that pain is the fifth vital sign. If you were a scout leader, you should yell that at your, at your boys whenever they complain. That's a yeah. good one. <laughs> that's, yeah. No, and that's right. It's this catchy, like it, it just spreads. It does. Hmm. And uh, before you know it, um, there's been a lot of damage done, which is, which is one of the reasons that, you know, part of medical training is, is, the foundation of medical training is evidence-based medicine. So, you know, the code of the code of medicine is you, you don't offer treatments that aren't proven to have more benefit than risk. Um, and if you are offering treatments that have not been proven more beneficial than harmful, that by definition is experimental and should be done inside of the context of a clinical trial with an oversight committee. Uh, ensuring that uh, the folks who are participating in, in that trial are protected. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, there are lots of folks who, lots of patients and people who will say that things helped them, but it's important to do a formal trial, a formal study, to make sure that's actually the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, you, you may find that, well, as a matter of fact, these interventions, if we look at, in the case of gender dysphoria, for example, if we look at objective measures of mental health, so um, hospitalizations after suicide attempts, prescriptions for antidepressant medications, um, uh, et cetera, it's very difficult um, no one really has been able to show that hormones and surgeries uh, improve those objective measures uh, of of mental health. Uh, but there are many people who will say that those interventions did help them. But this this is the whole reason that hmm. evidence based medicine exists. We're we're supposed to our decision making is supposed to be guided by that ethical principle. Because if we violate that, there's a good chance that harm could be done. And, and that's also, you know, this group, you know, uh, this, we're the Society for Evidence-Based Gender Medicine. Um, that, that's our premise, essentially, is, is the, the, same, uh, the same foundations of medical practice that apply in other areas of medicine uh, should be applying to this area as well. Mm-hmm. There is, this is kind of tricky to talk about because we are in the midst of a health crisis, uh, very uh, powerfully affected our 
uh, our economy, our culture, our society for the last 12 months. And so any questioning of the medical industry comes with all this political baggage, too. That's a very uh, fraught discussion. I don't want to necessarily broach that. But there's something about in our society, there's this vector of authority, professional authority that doctors have that insulates them from accountability. And it's only like decades later that we look back in shame, but it always seems like nobody's ever held accountable. You can see these movements kind of just having a life of their own, like the opioid uh, uh, pandemic or epidemic or whichever demic it was. Nobody's really to blame for that. It was just the industry or the doctors. That was just the sign of the times. The same thing might be said with the gender issue or at least the medicalization of gender dysphoria. Though there are kind of bigger names out there, and and there's there's rock star status that you can get by leaning into this stuff. So there might be some accountability down the line, but it's become so big, it seems like the industry is just going to swallow it. Like some people did some things. This it was just kind of this thing that happened, and then it stopped happening. Uh, do you, do you have that sense too? Am I off? Yeah. No, I think you're right. I mean, I think. Um you know, I think when medicine fails in the way that it's failing currently, um, harm is done. Uh, and in retrospect, it's very predictable. So, or, or very, you can, you can see exactly what happened. There was over-enthusiasm about an intervention that did not have evidence to support it. Um, and it, usually what happens in these situations are those people who were harmed, you know, they, they turn to, uh, you know, the legal system essentially to, to try to write some of, some of that harm with lawsuits. Um, and, you know, you're seeing now as well that, um, state legislatures are getting involved, um, because the feeling is that, you know, medicine is not regulating itself. So I think those, two things are inevitable consequences when when yeah. harm is done uh, because when when medical professionals don't follow evidence-based practice uh, you know that that's why this exists it exists to prevent these sorts of situations from occurring mm-hmm. yeah and and when that when that framework is 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 sidestepped when the discussion is suppressed, uh, when alternate viewpoints are prevented from having a voice on the stage at medical society meetings, um, clinicians walk away with the wrong idea. Uh, they're misinformed, essentially. Um, you know, if they're reading guidelines that aren't, aren't honest about the data, mm-hmm. they're going to mistreat their patients. And then harm is done. And, and then, yes, that's the recourse that folks will turn to, to try to right that wrong. The legislative intervention is a double-edged sword. Like in Canada, currently, I don't know if they actually passed. I, I reported on it, and then I dropped the ball. But it was Bill C-6, which was outlawing conversion therapy, but they had snuck in a redefinition of conversion therapy rather yeah, than... Sure changing somebody's sexuality, any sort of resistance towards affirming somebody's supposed, some child's supposed gender identity uh, outlawed or, or, uh, so, so this legislative uh, process is a political process and that could go either way. It could be based on who knows what. So with regards to the breaks that the various state legislatures are trying to put on gender therapy. What are your thoughts on that? Because there is a rash of bills uh, with, with the sports and with uh, child uh, conversion, well, literal conversion of uh, children. Yeah, no, I think in an ideal world that would not be necessary. So medicine could, uh, um, Hmm. you know, do what it's supposed to do and, and, and in doing so, maintain the trust of of the populace, but that's obviously not not happened. And so I I understand why these efforts are occurring uh, because uh, efforts to get 
doctors and medical societies to listen uh, to reality have been extremely difficult. Hmm. So it's a complex topic, and and I, you know, I think you know my my baseline position is, yeah, it it's not ideal. It, it really shouldn't be how things go, um, but I I do understand why it's come to that. Um, have you had success or to what degree and what kinds of success have you had on shedding light on this and moving the needle back towards evidence-based care? You know, I, um, I mean, it's difficult to, it's difficult to know exactly. So, so, uh, I, I guess, you know, I, I would say, I would say the majority of physicians that I speak with are of the same mindset that you know this this doesn't make sense on its face, and then that's kind of what happened to me. And then as you look deeper, you just get this sinking feeling of oh I oh no this is this is not good. There, there's you know these recommendations are not based on quality evidence, and this is not going to go well. And the scale with uh, which they're being applied is massive. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, this is you know, and then once once you you know once you see that, you can't really unsee it. So it, it's so it's so shocking that it's it's kind of it's there, and then you know, so so it's it's I don't know how many folks we've. Um, I, I don't know how to answer that question yet, um, mm. but I do know that when we show reasonable people the data and say, you know, you don't have to take my word for it. Look for yourself. Go to the primary sources. Um, read past the abstract because the abstracts are often misleading. Mm. So the summary at the top of the paper and, you know, many lay people as well, you know, clinicians obviously, but lay people are able to access the medical literature now. And the the titles and the summaries at the top of many of these uh, papers um, are misleading. And so, if you stop there, uh, you'll you'll not get the whole story. Uh, you'll you'll get a you'll get an impression that the uh, the author wants you to get. So you have to look at the data. You have to look at how well the data was collected and analyzed, and then come up with your own conclusion about whether or not that was a good study and then there are additional ways to to do that so then folks will take these studies and put them together in reviews and then there will be reviews of reviews and there's many ways to hmm. to kind of strengthen or, or look uh it's just like more those, closely uh, those tranches with the the housing crisis and they just bundle all these bad ideas and under so, bigger ideas and just make this huge citadel. So, yeah. So ideally, yeah. So those reviews, if they're done the right way and, and so they're supposed to be done in a way they're, they're done with, um, um, there are very strict criteria that have been agreed upon to try to minimize the influence of, uh, things that should not be influencing, um, conclusions. So, okay, so we're going to run run these studies through a very strict analysis that people have agreed upon are, this is the right way to do this. It's It, it minimizes, um, you're most likely to get the truest sense of that study from this type of analysis, this mm-hmm. secondary analysis after it's been done, but whether or not it was, what quality of evidence is this paper? Because not all of this stuff, much, a lot of the stuff that ends up in the medical literature is not high quality. It's, and it doesn't mean that it wasn't done well. Hmm. It just means that a study wasn't, didn't have the capacity in terms of how it was designed to provide information that is reliable. Mm-hmm. So, so, um, so it may, uh, be a single case report, for example, from a single f- physician in his own practice, an anecdote, and then you get collections of anecdotes, and then you can mm-hmm. run people through clinical trials, and then you can 
increase the size of the trials and blind the trials, et cetera. There, there, there's a there's a very strict progression, and so and none of this is is new. Like this is this is how medicine works. Um, but it's interesting in this area when you read studies, many times the title and the abstract are very misleading. Mm-hmm. So you have to go in through yourself. So and look, and so it's my experience and others' experience has been that when we show reasonable clinicians the actual state of the evidence, it's it's just very obvious that it's low quality evidence that there are significant risks and um, and that the risks at this point in time um, outweigh those benefits because we can't actually show with any reasonable certainty that there is benefit. And so in that in that context, it's completely reasonable to offer psychotherapy to a, a, a struggling youngster with gender dysphoria. And that's what's distressing about those bills that are trying to outlaw quote-unquote conversion therapy. Uh, because as I've said, there is there's no convincing evidence that gender dysphoria has a biological underpinning. Um, and, uh, and so to deny a distressed person access to a competent psychotherapist who could help them relieve distress is, hmm. it's terrible. It's, uh, it's one of the worst things I can imagine actually hmm. in, in a medical context. So going door to door, so to speak, doing grassroots one-on-one, uh, look at the evidence, um, kind of path or tact is slow going for sure. Very necessary. What's the next step beyond that? Uh, you're publishing articles or yeah. people are publishing papers, but when do yeah. you go after the societies and what way, how do you go after societies, medical societies and influence them? Yeah. So, so that's a great question. Um, yeah, it's, it's slow going. It's, it's, uh, right. Crowds, I forget who said it. Crowds go, you know, mad by the hundreds and then wake up one by one, something like this. Hmm. So, um, so it's definitely slow. It's slow going. You know, I, I don't, you know, this, the medical societies, it's kind of, you kind of described it, I think, well, uh, that there will be some softening of the positions likely. And, and some allowance of presentations of the other framework that I've been speaking of. And then it'll kind of be like, well, we were trying to help, and so we were just doing the best that we could, and don't look too closely hmm. at what happened. Um, but I don't know how that's going to – I don't know yeah. how ultimately that evolves. I think at a minimum uh, – that the psychological framework for understanding the origins, so the developmental processes that lead a child or adolescent to be in conflict with their um, biological body, uh, their physical body. So that developmental framework and then the psychotherapeutic efforts to relieve distress, whether or not those efforts are directed at the gender dysphoria itself or the, you know, the other associated um, conditions uh, should not be seen as criminal behavior. It should not be criminalized. It should not be outlawed. It it should be actually a very reasonable alternative to the medical pathway. And given the state of the data in this, in this area, I mean, there's no question that that should be the case. At a very minimum, the medical society should be acknowledging that reality, that there is debate about this issue, and we're going to allow the folks who um, have a different viewpoint to present their data to you all. And there are well, you know, highly respected, accomplished clinicians, psychiatrists, psychologists, who could do that? Uh, and we're going to allow them to present their life's work to you. And then you get to decide as a clinician in the audience what you think 
would be the best course of action for patients who are coming to see you. Hmm. So at a minimum, that should be that should be occurring, and and that's not occurring, and that's a yeah. that's a big problem. Yeah, that's just the minimum, just the the bare minimum. And again, that goes back to just basic uh, what we call libertarian or li- liberal values, or you know, this certain liberal values or that tradition of at least having the debate and seeing things as a conversation has once that goes away then there's no nothing to stop that madness of crowds taking over once and that's you what's happened take out the guardrails yeah yeah and, and i don't fully understand why that happened it, it's it's still it, hmm. it's it's interesting in terms of why that happened in medicine you know there's i can theorize there's been some significant, I'll just call it bullying. So essentially, right? If you if you speak up, if you if you try to present the psychological framework argument, I mean, you're you're targeted. You know, people have lost their jobs. You know, you, um, you know, it's it's so there's there's intimidation occurring at all levels, publicly mm-hmm. and behind closed doors, in meetings where. Decisions are being made about how guidelines are going to look and and what papers are going to be published and what you know, letters to the editor are going to be published. So there's there's significant intimidation and name calling and you're this you're that. As soon as uh, as soon as you try to present a a, a reasonable alternative, mm-hmm. if if the what we call cancel culture. Or the canceling and the getting of people fired, the snuffing out of voices is happening so brazenly outside, out in the open, so brazenly, like people left and right are getting kicked out for expressing views on this particular topic. To what extent do you think that it's happening behind closed doors? It's probably way more than you could ever believe if they're acting out in the open, just, you know, just killing critics out in the open. You know that there's so much stuff going on. There's been, oh yeah, I 100% agree. There's been a a stifling of conversation um, at all levels. So, and and that that's to that's detrimental to patients. It's detrimental to the you know to the young people who are distressed. That's that's the tragedy of this. to what extent have you been impacted by your behavior of speaking out? Yeah. Um, minimally. So, you know, there's certainly some, some online, uh, vitriol and, and such. Um, but, uh, you know, um, fortunately no, nothing serious in that regard. You know, my, my positions are, you know, what I'm, the things I'm saying are, just, um, you know, it, it, it is in other, other areas of medicine are just routine. You know, it's it's not like I'm uh, I'm I'm stating brilliant facts here, right? This is this is this is how medicine operates and should operate and and, and usually operates in in every other fashion. So what I'm describing is just. Hmm would have no meaning in, in the context of, you know, a, a discussion about uh, blood pressure medication or, you know, heart disease or whatever it is. It's, it would be, you know, the folks in the room would be saying, well, what do you, duh, I mean, that's how medicine works. Hmm. Uh, but in this, in this context, because of the, of the social context and uh, uh, the, the particulars of that, you know, this, these mundane things are, shocking right yeah. and 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 uh, and they shouldn't be and that's that's been part of our argument as well is you know i'm I, the the positions that i and the you know the folks i'm working with the positions that we've taken are absolutely reasonable and within frameworks of every other area of medicine mm-hmm. yeah for the layperson i you're rather public. I don't know to what extent you're active on, let's say, the Twitter, but there's a lot of people involved in this conversation and are worried about it. And there's parents and there's uh, 
you know, a lot of parents worried about what was happening with their children and there's teachers and so on and so forth. And that's really a, a busy space. What would you think is the most productive thing that people could be paying attention to and doing or supporting uh, in order to forward proper care in this issue, in this domain? Yeah. So folks who are um, in terms of social media and, and their own lives, or what, what do you... Well, yes. What What do you think is the most? Yeah. What, what's Yeah. What, what's the thing that people should be tithing their attention to or putting their back into? In Insofar as you are, uh, you see, is the most effective point of pressure that the public yeah. can be putting. Oh, on I, I see what you mean. Yeah. So I, I think. Um, um, so I think going to primary sources and, and reading for yourself, if something doesn't make sense, you go, you go look at it yourself and make up your own mind. And if you come to the conclusion that things are not being handled in the right way, um, there's plenty of opportunities to, hmm. to say so. And so I would encourage people to educate themselves on the topic like I said, once you once you start to see the truth of it, you really can't unsee it. It's very it's very very shocking. And once that happens, there'll be plenty of opportunities to uh, you know to to talk about it um, to colleagues, friends, teachers, um, et cetera, et cetera. So I think I think primarily the there, there has to be a, a, a cooling of this shut down a conversation, um, right? You can't really, you can't really talk about these topics. You get immediately shut down and shouted down. And, uh, so the, the folks who are not doing that, who may not have their minds made up, uh, may not have looked at the topic closely. If you can approach them in a, in a way that, uh, could get them to investigate the topic themselves, that'd be great. And like I said, I think most reasonable people, when they take a look at the reality of the situation, and 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 the skeptic in me is thinks that's why the conversations have been suppressed at the levels of the uh, medical societies, because it would be just glaringly obvious of what's what's going on if the conversation were allowed to happen. I mean, it wouldn't, it, it would just be, it would be over essentially. I mean, it would, it would be a done deal. And that's what you see happening in the Scandinavian countries currently. So UK and then Finland and Sweden. So they have methodically looked at the evidence and done the work themselves and come to that conclusion. Very low evidence of, uh, uh, if any, of benefits. High risk. Um, minors should not be um, going down treatment protocols that have little evidence and high risk. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that should have happened at the medical societies. That would have prevented hmm. this from happening. Uh, because when reasonable people get together and look at the evidence, there's only one conclusion to come to, which is this is very low quality evidence and there are significant risks involved. Most of these kids have resolution by the time they hit early, you know, hit adulthood. Um, psychotherapy has been the mainstay of treatment forever. Uh, and um, it's it's an obvious conclusion that most people will come to. So I, I urge everyone to go do that, to go look for themselves. And, and then once you're convinced, assuming you are, see if you can convince somebody else. Is the Society for Evidence-Based Gender Medicine, is that for, do you have resources for lay people or is that 
yeah, so we're professional. No, yeah, yeah, both. I would say so. Okay. So we've got a you know we so the the website is uh, segm.org. Uh, so we have um, we've got a news section there where we essentially are updating uh, with uh, you know things in the field that have come along uh, recently. Um, we give a nice overview, and then we'll have additional resources. We're working on additional resources that'll that'll hopefully be out in in short order uh, for exactly that to help. So essentially, to present the the whole picture that was not and has not pre- been presented where it should have been in the first place. Mm-hmm. So we can direct people there. Any other resources that? stand out to you or that you think are uh, very uh, good places for people to go you recommend yeah there's there's a number of um there's a number of good um um i think we have i'm not sure if we have links on our on our web page or not um uh that's a great idea we probably should have that um but uh there there are many there are many uh, organizations and groups who have um, kind of come to the same conclusion and they're coming at this issue from their own perspective. So um, Rethink Identity Medicine Ethics, RIME, is a is a, another organization um, that I've uh, uh, been working with. Um, so yes, there are, there are lots of resources out there for folks uh, once they start to look. Do you have any adventures planned this summer? Or you seem like an adventure kind of guy. I could see you going outside. I don't know if that's wrong. I mean, I so- southern Idaho is is basically outside. So you know, there's. <laughs> are you like? Are you it's, rock climbing? Uh, or it's constant uh, cave cave diving. Um, no, no cave diving. It's very it's very dry here, but uh, I don't have to go far. I'm very fortunate. It's. Uh, it's uh, it's an incredible part of the country, actually. So, um, you know, five minutes out the door, and and you're in you're in incredible wilderness. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so fortunately, I don't have to I don't have to go far. I just kind of go out the back door and right in the right in the wilderness. Yeah. How long have you lived in that area? So I've been uh, been in Southern Idaho for five years. I was in upstate okay. New York uh, prior to that for. Um, close to ten years or so. So, did you grow up in a, a cool place, like I um, Florida? S- small, Keys. yeah, n- no. <laughs> so it's a small town in uh, um, in upstate New York, and okay. uh, that, yep. Um, and then I, you know, I crisscrossed crisscrossed the country for training, and about five years ago. Uh, you know, my wife and I were looking for a really um, growing part of the country on the West Coast or the western part of the United States and uh, came here and took a look and it's just a phenomenal place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And you don't have to worry about all those West Coast crazies quite yet. I know they're moving out there now, though. So um, I, I would say that people here are really great so it's uh, it's it's a great community i'm really really pleased that uh, that we made this move yeah great. yeah any parting wisdom or factoids that have been keeping you up at night no i mean i think um so uh, you know i i think i should thank you you've done a amazing job in this space in terms of so i guess one of the answers to you know places to get information would be all the interviews you've done on this topic i mean it's really been incredible you've no doubt helped many many people so hmm. uh, yeah thanks for that and uh i'll link that no, below I think as well yeah <laughs> i yeah i think uh no i think we've hit the main you know the main uh the main topics um Let's see here. I took some notes. I prepared. Oh. I try to do that, but I do so many interviews that I just listen to a bunch of podcasts and then I create them. 
Yeah. Um, no, I think we've, I think we've hit the main, you know, the main points. So uh, I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you again and appreciate what you've done in this space. It's really, it's really been uh, remarkable. You did say that you were at another endocrine society meeting recently. Were there any anecdotes? Was that all on zoom? Are endocrinologists well, uh, do they behave well in a virtual space? Or yeah. I mean, it, it's, yeah. So it was a virtual conference. I mean, overall, I mean, overall it was a great conference. Um, mm -hmm. you know, the usual rules applied to every other area, you know, count, you know, point uh, counterpoint uh, discussions mm -hmm. about, you know, does radioactive iodine for, hyperthyroidism cause cancer later on in life you know so this just brilliant presentation um hmm. by two opposing uh clinicians and researchers over the course of an hour you know with a thousand i think there were 1200 people watching that um and just in stark contrast to uh, you know the gender dysphoria presentations which were one-sided and and no debate so isn't that weird that they're like debate, 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 no debate, 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 debate. And are people yeah, it, like it, what's going on? No, it's it's stunning. It's really it's really shocking actually. Huh. It's really it's really a um, it's a massive failure on on the part of uh, uh, all the organizations essentially to to adequately air discussion on this topic. And then like I said, ultimately the the folks who suffer the most are uh, you know, the adolescents with gender dysphoria. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, well, keep at it. I will link. I kept on wanting, I keep on wanting to call it Segum, but do you guys say that? Yeah, out yeah, loud? yeah. Just, it, you do? Yeah. Segum. Yeah. Yeah. Like Segum. That's it. Hobbled uh, video game company or something. Yeah. Maybe a mobile Sega. Segum. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. I know a couple other people that, that work, uh, uh, have been working with you on that. So I'll definitely uh, link that for everybody to check out. Thank you for your afternoon, good doctor. Yeah. Thanks, Benjamin. Congratulations for reaching the end of the discussion. If you enjoyed it, do be sure to leave a review or a comment or a thumbs up or whatever you need to do to show that glorious algorithm that this is some good stuff. And do be sure to go and check that back catalog as it is brimming full of fantastic conversations. Links to provide monetary support are down there in the description as well. Have a good night.